The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. As I mentioned on yesterday's show, we've got a greatly expanded group of certified financial planner practitioners few over 50. So offices, East Bay, Marin, San Mateo, Portland, Chicago, Denver, lots of places to go for some financial planning help. Yesterday's show, I was also talking about uh, Social Security towards the end of the show. And I I ran through it kind of quick. I wanted to hit this email from uh, a couple um, and just go over it again and, and talk about it a little bit more because Social Security is a it's, it's a big deal. And you're going to hear more and more about it because we have an aging population. We have a huge baby boom population. Now, luckily, we're not Japan. We have the millennial population, which supposedly, I don't know who counted them, but supposedly there's a bigger group of millennials than there are baby boomers. And that's good because we'd really be hurting if not. Because the way Social Security works is that when you look on your paycheck, you see this FICA tax. You pay half, your employer pays half, uh, up to a bit over 140000 of your income this year. It's about 6.2% that you pay, and then the employer pays a portion of it as well, or the, other, or the other half, let's say. So that money goes into the Social Security system, and there's disability benefits, there's retirement income, and things like that. And the problem that we're going to see, based on demographics and the number of people retiring is that there's going to be less money going into Social Security than is being paid out. And by law, they have to cut benefits. Now, or, or change the system, right? And so likely what everybody thinks is that there's going to be a bunch of different changes to Social Security. The first thing that'll likely happen is you're going to have to hold off longer potentially to get your full retirement benefits. So that's already gone up at 67 for most people. And it could end up being 70. Maybe they get rid of the age 62 ability to take Social Security at all. The other area that will happen is Social Security taxation. So there's a really, really ridiculous formula that determines how much of your Social Security is taxable when you retire. And it comes out of your paycheck as a tax. And then it gets paid back to you. And it, for most people, especially if you can afford to live in the Bay Area or in most places these days, it's taxable up to 85%. And it's a crazy formula. I'm not going to get into much of it. I've made, I've made fun of the formula in the past. I always say that the, the formula for how much of your Social Security is taxable was made up by Congress on whiskey night. So they went to a whiskey sampler and then they made up laws about Social Security. That's pretty much how it works. I think, in my own head anyway. So you take your provisional income, which is 
your income plus one half your social security plus all your tax-free income. And it's a provisional income number for most people, 85% of your social security is going to be taxable in retirement. And that number will likely increase that up to hundred percent of your social security can be taxable, or they might just make it for over a certain income limit that hundred percent of your social security is just taxable income. And that's, that's what kind of leads me to go into this question a little bit more and, and think about it a little bit more than my quick answer yesterday. So the question, and by the way, you can email me your money questions at chat at chadburton.com. We're married, 64 years old and retired with very good net worth. In between 62 and 70, we are eligible to draw Social Security. You've recommended that one wait until 70 unless they are in dire financial need or terminally ill. That strategy makes sense as a way to maximize uh, lifetime Social Security income, but it assumes that the payouts and taxes will not change substantially. I've heard an opposite opinion, that if you can afford to live without Social Security, you should take it earlier. The reasoning is that there will will need to be changes in the payouts and taxes that will most likely cut into the benefits for those with higher taxable income. Of course, this requires predicting the future changes in the laws. Can you please review your thinking on this? Consider those taxable income from investments and pensions ranging maybe from 100 to 400K. And as I thought about this, this is is a better question than I even thought. Here's the issue. In fact, I was having a conversation with somebody last night that pulled up their, helped them pull up their social security information online. And it showed that their benefit was projected to almost double from if they were to take it at 62 versus waiting until 70. So they go, okay, that's why I wait until 70. And as long as you think you're going to live past your mid eighties, you're going to usually win. And what that means is that you can take social security a lot earlier. You can take it at 62. If you've stopped working, you're not going to face any penalties. If you're still working, you never want to take it at 62 unless you, again, need it to put food on the table. There's a lot of penalties if you're working and taking Social Security before your full retirement age. So by waiting that, that nice long time to age 70, you have a much higher check at age 70, but you also don't have that income for eight years. So there's a crossover point because if you wait till you're 70, it's going to be a crossover point of into your late, late seventies, early eighties before you can say, Oh, this was a good decision. Now I'm ahead of the game. Now I have a much higher income and I've now pulled more money out of the system because I've lived to a lot a ripe old age. So most of the time, if you're healthy, you're going to wait until you're 70, especially if you're just retiring with just enough income. All right. Now, if you're a married couple and you are the person with the higher income, that you've always had the higher income and you don't think you're going to live till you're 70, you should still probably wait till you're 70 because if your spouse's social security income is way lower, when you die, your spouse will keep your higher check. So it's another reason, a situation where even an unhealthy person would want to wait till they're 70. That's if they're married and their spouse's check is much lower than theirs because maybe they stayed at home and raised the kids or just didn't have as high income. Now, the question comes is, 
I, I don't really change my advice when income is ranging from maybe 100 to 300, but I could see if your income is over 300 because everything that Biden is talking about tends to be around the $400,000 to a million dollar income levels before things start to change. Like he wants to get rid of the 1031 exchange. He wants to tax capital gains much higher. He wants to reinstitute FICA tax once your income hits 400,000, reinstitute the FICA tax on top of that. So I could see that argument where if you have kind of more than enough to retire, you have a really high income, over 300K or so, and you're you know, 65 years old, and you're like, why don't I just take it at my full retirement age of 66 or 67? Why wait until 70? Because yeah, I'm going to get a higher check, but that more of that check will likely be out there eligible for higher taxes that are likely coming down the line. Guys, we are half, we're going to see higher taxes. Absolutely. Lowest tax situation. I've been in the business for 26 years, the lowest tax situation we've ever been in. And Congress has done nothing to fix social security and Medicare and Medicaid. And those things are funded out of our paychecks with taxes. And so you get funding from FICA, but you also get some of that funding by that taxation of Social Security. So taxation of that Social Security is going to be up. So I get that argument. I, I, if you've got more than enough to retire and you've got that higher income, you're like, well, let's just turn on the tap now because my check's going to be... I'll get my check for you know, sooner and maybe less of it will be subject to higher taxes that are likely to come in the future. So I get that argument. Find me at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. You'll notice the announcement there that we... Switch from New Focus Financial Group. We've now joined EP Wealth. And so it's greatly expanded our team. We have way more certified financial planner practitioners uh, in the, not only in the Bay Area, but across the country. So if you're in Denver and Seattle or wherever it may be listening to the podcast, we've got great teams working for you. And we can now do taxes and estate planning all in-house too. So check it out. You can find me at chadburton.com. Send me an email question for the show, like Satya did. The question that he had is that uh, he said, if I convert $25,000 from my 457 pre-tax money into a pre-existing Roth IRA that is more than five years old, does the five years start all over again for the account? Does the converted amount have to meet the new five-year term? That's his question. Okay, so let's go back and talk about what is he doing? First of all, a 457 plan, it's just like a 401k. You can just get at it a little bit earlier. But just think of a 457 plan as a 401k. People put money into it pre-tax, it grows tax deferred, but when they retire, it's 100% taxable like a 401k or an IRA. And what he's doing is doing partial conversions to a Roth IRA. And this is a Great strategy. So if you, from the date you retire to age 72, when required minimum distributions kick in, there's a very key point in time where you can move a little bit each year from your pre, your IRAs and 401ks and 457 plans, move a little bit out each year from those plans into a Roth IRA, pay the taxes now, but you're shoving it back into an account that number one, grows tax-free for the rest of your life. And number two, does not have any required minimum distributions. Number three, it does not, when you take income out of those uh, Roth IRAs, it does not increase taxation of your Social Security. It does not cause you to pay more Medicare Part B premiums. 
They're really, really good. And so what people are supposed to do is towards the end of each year, you get with your tax advisor, your certified financial planner, and review your tax situation. Review your bracket. And you might look at your tax situation and say, okay, I'm at the 22% bracket. And I can have an additional, in this case, $25,000 of income and still be at that bracket. (coughs) Excuse me. And so if you're always going to be at that bracket throughout your entire retirement or higher once you hit 72 and you're forced to pull money out of your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457 plans, and you're always going to be at that bracket or higher, and you always also believe, like I do, that taxes are going up in the future, well, you might as well max out that tax bracket, pay the taxes now, and move the money over into into a Roth IRA. It goes tax-free for the rest of your life. And you can leave it to your kids and they can grow it for another up to 10 years tax-free if they want to. Nobody pays the taxes on the Roth. So the question is this confusing five-year rule that people hear about. That once you convert money from an IRA or any pre-tax plan to a Roth, that you have to wait five years before you can get at the money tax-free and penalty-free. And when I get this question, and I get it several times a year, I go right to Ed Slot's website. Ed Slot's a CPA. He's kind of a, in our industry. He and Natalie Choder considered kind of the gurus when it comes to IRA laws and retirement plan laws and things like this. And right off his website, you say that what makes this area so confusing is that there are, in fact, two different five-year rules that come into play. So, Satya, it depends on how old you are. If you're under 59 and a half, the answer to your question is yes. There's two five-year rules that we have to think about here. The first five-year rule applies to converted funds. If you're under 59 and a half, you must wait five years to access without penalty any converted funds that were taxable at the time of conversion. So this five-year rule does restart with each conversion. So if you're under 59 and a half and you convert, it's kind of like, you, you know how you hear about that term, you can't take money out of your IRAs until you're 59 and a half? Well, it's the five-year rule supersedes this. So you have to be f- over 59 and a half and that conversion has to be more than five years old. Now, the good news is that if you're over 59 and a half, you don't need to worry about the 10% penalty because there's two issues that we're dealing with. We're, we're talking about a penalty for withdrawing out of the account before age 59 and a half. And then as soon as you pull, put money into a Roth and it grows, supposed to grow tax-free, well, it's not tax-free if you don't meet that five-year rule. All right, so this gets a little bit confusing because you're dealing with a 10% penalty and you're also dealing with a qualified distribution, meaning you can take the earnings out totally tax-free. You do not need to worry about the 10% penalty on converted funds when you take distributions from your Roth IRA if you're over 59 and a half. So that one's gone. However, the second five-year rule does affect you. To have a qualified or tax-free distribution of earnings from a Roth IRA, you must meet the overall five-year withholding period, even if you're over age 59 and a half. And the five-year period begins with your first conversion and does not restart with subsequent conversions. Okay, so if you're over 59 and a half and you do that conversion, it's from the first time you opened up that Roth IRA. 
And let's say you open up that Roth IRA in December of January, uh, December of 2018. They consider that a January 1st starting date for the Roth. So what I've seen people do and what I've helped people do is five years prior to retirement, when we know we're going to start doing these partial IRA to Roth conversions to maximize tax brackets and minimize your overall tax burden in retirement for yourself and your heirs. We've converted like $1,000 from an IRA to a Roth just to get that starting time frame out of the way. Let it sit there for five years until you retire. So if you're going to retire at 60, maybe, or 65, maybe at 60, you convert a small amount. Maybe you're at a really high tax bracket. So it doesn't make a, it doesn't really make sense to, while you're still working at a high bracket, to convert a large amount. So maybe you convert $1,000 from your IRA to your Roth. Let it sit there for five years. And then you start the big conversions from 65 to age 72. So again, Roth IRAs, fantastic, especially now. You should be telling your kids if they're especially younger and under a 22% federal bracket, focus on the Roth 401k and the Roth IRA. Pay the taxes now, let it grow tax-free for the rest of your life because it's tax-free. Taxes are going to go up. There's no required minimum distributions like there are with IRAs and 401ks and 403bs. It's tax-free for the kids for up to another 10 years after you die. doesn't affect Social Security taxation and it doesn't cause you to pay more Medicare premiums. What that means is, is that if you have a, an income, a year when your income is really high, maybe you had to pull out $100,000 from your IRA to pay for a, a remodel or some major expense, and your income goes way up, it could cause you to pay more in Medicare premiums. But if you're pulling a big amount out of a Roth, it can't. It doesn't work. It, it, it's a much better scenario. So focus on these Roths, people. You got to learn about them. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. If you have a money question for the show, shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. Find out more about me, my team, certified financial planner practitioners, company EP Wealth. Check it out. Full service, fiduciary, fee-only planning. We do it all in-house. Investments, retirement planning, estate planning, including wills, trusts, power attorney, healthcare directive, tax returns. We do it all. So check it out. It's a good one-stop place to go for sure. And hopefully we'll get an event going soon. As I mentioned yesterday, Rob and I sure miss seeing everybody in person doing our events, being not seeing you guys for over a year now, at least. Um, at least we got to hope to get a webinar up and running probably sometime next month. So stay tuned to chadburton.com to, for announcements on that. One of the things I want to send you to is uh, shoot me an email if you want basically a financial planning guide for people who don't want to work forever. It's a really great resource. It's the retirement planning guide and it's, it gives you five steps and a lot of different kind of sub steps and information inside this thing that help you think about your retirement. There is several pieces of a good retirement plan. One is maximizing your enjoyment of life. 
So we're going to talk about envisioning your actual retirement and your lifestyle in retirement, but also you hear me talk about health quite often because 26 years in the business and starting at 19 with people that were in their 70s and 80s, those that were healthy were enjoying retirement. Those that were not healthy seemed to be going to the doctor. If a married couple, I would literally hear them talk about how many times a week they're going to the doctor. It's like every day they get up, they do their routine. And one of their routine is one of them has to go to the doctor or the dentist for something. And that sounds awful. So concentrate on that health before retirement. Planning for the income you need to maintain your standard of living. That's number two. Managing the risk associated with investments and under and then unexpected life events. So having a plan for rough markets. If you think about the market from 2007 to 2017, that was a pretty rough decade. You had the big Great Recession correction. And uh, a normal balanced portfolio had a lower rate of return than the previous 10 years, even with the tech correction inside there. So, so you have to have a plan to get through rough economies, a couple of years of bad markets. The worst thing you can do is pull money out of your portfolio when it's down. So you have to have a certain amount of cash, certain amount of income from your portfolio, and a plan of action to rebalance in good markets and a plan of action to have enough cash and income to not sell in a bad market. Because if we learned anything from 2020, is that things can feel real scary, but they'll return to normal real quick. That was one of the steepest... Well, that for 26 years, that was the steepest and quickest recovery. And it was a big drop. It wasn't even in the you know top... 10, I believe, but the recovery timeframe was. So those that were having to sell on the way down just to put food on the table, that was less money that recovered in the April, May to the end of the year timeframe. And now they locked in their losses. But those that have enough cash and they stayed put, they ended up the year with a higher amount of money. So you have to have a plan of action to make your investments last as long as you do. The other risks associated with retirement planning is long-term care, health issues. Medicare does not cover long-term care issues for more than a, a small period of time. So if you end up with memory issues like dementia, Alzheimer's, or you fall and break your hip and you need assistance with eating, dressing, continence, transferring, those types of things when you're older, you're on your own unless you have some sort of insurance. So you have to have a modeling in your financial plan. This is what happens if my, me or my spouse goes into a nursing home for three years or longer. That's a normal stay is about three years on average. Do you have enough money to pay for it on your own? If not, how are you going to transfer the risk? Are you going to buy traditional long-term care insurance, which has gotten very expensive, especially for women? Or are you going to buy one of these newer hybrid policies, which I've been liking more and more? So for those that have extra money, more than enough to retire. And they're looking to put cash somewhere and they have another additional idea of, hey, I want to make sure that money's still there if something happens to me and I go into a nursing home for three to five years. There's certain types of life insurance you can buy now where the death benefit gets paid early to you while you're alive if you need nursing home or assisted living help. And then whatever's left over goes to your spouse or your kids. Or you say, nope, I've got enough investments to cover it. Or nope, I'm going to do a reverse mortgage to cover it. Or I'm going to sell my home and go into assisted living and cover it. Or are my kids going to take care of me? You have to have a plan for that. Very important as a part of your plan. 
So let's, let's talk a little bit more about maximizing your enjoyment of life in retirement. What are you going to do? Talked about this a lot before. You're going to travel the world. That's, that's why I've done travel shows and brought on companies like Inspirado. Because if you want to travel the world in lifestyle, in a really high-end lifestyle and stay in really nice homes and travel quite often, they have a monthly fee that you can do to travel the world. I love their service and, and places to stay. Uh, do you want to finally enjoy your local restaurants so you can go out to eat every day? Like a lot of clients I know go out to eat almost every day and they're really missing that part of life for sure. So you're going to volunteer a lot more. You're going to stay in your current home. You're going to downsize. You're going to sell your Bay Area home and get you know one house in Washington and one house in Nevada based on what seasons you like. Now, the one thing that I know is that those plans will change real quickly because think about it. A lot of people are retiring right about the age um, where their kids are starting to have children. And I've seen the idea of what people are going to do in retirement drastically change based on what happens with their grandkids. So you had no people that were traveling the world and all of a sudden they had grandkids and that's where they wanted to spend all of their time and focus. So they moved to Denver to be next to their grandkids and, and hardly traveled anymore after that. The, uh, a lot of people like to golf every day, take up a hobby, pottery classes. I don't know. My mom who's retiring here shortly wants to learn Spanish and, and get, get her French back. That's one of her main goals. Um, she also mentioned playing the piano too. So she's got a lot that she's going to take on. Um, what'll happen is it's, you're going to kind of do this thing where you, you unwind a little bit in the first part of retirement and Either people are super busy and they say, I'm so busy now that I don't even know how I had time to work in the past. And those are the tend to be the people that are really happy in retirement. Or you get really bored. And what I don't want you to do is retire, get really bored, and then start watching your portfolio on a day-by-day basis. And I see these all the time. And I know exactly when it's happening. Because if I have a client that retires... And all of a sudden, they, they didn't really have a plan of what they're going to spend their days like in terms of, I'm gonna, first thing I do, I'm going to get out of bed, I'm going to go work out, right? That gets your day started, get, keeps you healthy in retirement. And then volunteer, golf, or whatever. Um, go skiing, I don't, something. If people get bored and they start focusing on their portfolio, they're going to start focusing on the day-to-day movements and then they're going to watch CNBC and Bloomberg and then they're going to start emailing me every question on every stock that Jim Cramer talks about. And it will literally drive people crazy. I've seen it so that I've, I've, I've had to say, you need to go do other things because I'm not going to answer every single stock question that comes up from Jim Cramer. It's just not going to happen. And look, guys... I manage a lot of money for a living. And there's days that go by where I don't know exactly what the market closed at because I'm busy doing financial plans and tax strategies and everything else. The market takes care of us over time. Looking at the day-to-day movements of the stock market is a waste of time. Especially nowadays when you got people coming on Reddit and you know people that do a podcast that has nothing to do with finance and they're announcing their stock picks and on Reddit. And then all of a sudden everybody piles into the same position and it moves up and moves down. And you got people trading on Robinhood. I had my 16 year old daughter who knows about stocks and ETFs 
asked me if she should open up a Robinhood account yesterday. <laughs> I can't even remember the last time she asked me about a stock or an ETF. She does want to be a financial advisor, but it's, it's been lately more about you know cheer and, and getting through school and friends and stuff like that. So there's definitely some froth in the riskier assets right now. And these same people that get worried about the day-to-day movements in their retirement will start focusing on these biotech stocks and other things that they keep hearing about. And it'll drive them. So let the market take care of you over time and focus on, on being happy. Do not, if you catch yourself looking at your portfolio on a day-to-day basis, the, ups, the daily ups and downs, you're doing it wrong. You truly are. Um, so th- you're not going to live a happy life doing that. So envision what your retirement lifestyle is going to be like before you retire. In a lot of cases, I'll tell people to ask for a sabbatical. If they're not sure what they want to do in retirement, if you go in and say, okay, I'm, I'm done, I want to quit, and then you retire and you're like, I am so bored right now, I don't know what to do. You might not be able to get that job back, but if you can slow down or take part-time or ask for a long sabbatical so you could practice retirement a couple of times, start using up that vacation time for real versus just getting paid out on it, figure out what's going to make you happy. Figure out what your daily routine is. It's really important for people to have that daily routine. And again, the happiest people I know in retirement typically start that day with exercise. Plain and simple. It's, it's a fact that I've seen. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more. We've got several different items, but if you want this retirement guide, these steps to take a lot of good art, a lot of good steps in this, shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. And I'll send you a link. That's chat at chadburton.com. My team of six certified financial planners is greatly expanded. We're now over 50 certified financial planners as a part of EP wealth. We do retirement planning, estate planning, investment management, taxes, your wills, trusts, all that all in house. If you've got over half a million dollars of investable assets and you want to check out our team, just go to chadburton.com. And also shoot me an email if you want this retirement guide that I've been talking about. There is... I've got a lot of different versions of this. I got the 10 pillars retirement planning, but this, this handout, which I've put a link to it in my email tag. So if you email me, I'll email you right back and you'll click on it. You can download this retirement planning guide for people who don't want to work forever. And it goes through five steps, envisioning your retirement lifestyle, determining your timeline for retirement, which is how much is it going to cost you based on your age and your expenses and your healthcare and how much you're going to get in social security and how long you plan on working. That's step number two. The step number three is understanding the use of different accounts for your retirement. So you have 401ks, you have IRAs, you have health savings accounts, Roth IRAs, 529 plans, Roth 401k, all these different options out there. You got to learn about them. Know what is right for you, your situation, and your tax bracket. Step number four is typically most people, in order to catch up after their kids are done with college and things like that, their income finally starts to peak out. They need to do more than just their 401k. What other savings strategies are there? Social security strategies, personal investments, pensions. Are annuities good or bad? I'll give you a hint on that one. 98% of them are awful. And then you need a tax plan. If you want your money to last, you have to have a good tax plan in retirement. Very key to retirement planning. Because look, people, retirement planning is harder now than ever before. You have to have more money to retire now than you did in the past because the income on your bonds is one quarter of what it was 
15 years ago. So that's why you keep seeing these hints of articles, at least I do in the financial planning world, of all of these different companies coming out and saying the 60-40 portfolio is dead. You can't just go into retirement and say, oh, I can draw less than you know, 4% or less on a 60-40 portfolio, 60% bonds, 40% stocks. I'm sorry, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and I'll be okay. Because that 40% in bonds is yielding way less than it used to. So you need more money to retire. You need something besides a 60-40. You got to be a little bit smarter about your asset allocation. You definitely have to have a certain amount of cash to get through bad markets. You definitely have to peel off growth in good markets to replenish the cash that you spent. So we need more to retire and we're living longer and taxes are likely to go up. Now, right now we're enjoying the lowest tax situation I've ever seen. So that means taxes are likely to go up. We model that in our planning software that in 2026, taxes will revert to where they were prior to Trump's tax act. But Biden is going to make a lot of changes. I don't think a lot of the changes are going to come in until next year because we have to get through a fiscal package and get agreement on that before any major tax changes come in. But it's going to change. Definitely going to change. And we need to fix Social Security and Medicare. We need to fix the homeless issue. And most of that has to do with mental health. So taxes are going to go up, plain and simple. So you have to have a plan for that. And then step number five is how to prevent your retirement from going off the rails. If you pass away, does your spouse lose out on pensions? Do you need life insurance to protect that, that that works throughout your retirement? Do you need long-term care insurance? Randall asked me a question about the new styles of long-term care insurance. And there's the kind where you buy it. And if you never use it, you don't get anything back. And then there's a newer kind where you can buy life insurance that you can use while you're alive that I mentioned earlier in the show. It's a hybrid policy. And... I can't tell you which one's right for you. It's really your own circumstance. I don't even know if you need it. I got a lot of clients that have way more money than they'll ever need. And so they can self-insure and they don't buy it. If you have just enough to retire, that's typically when you need to protect your situation. Because if one of you has an unexpected stay in a nursing home, that's hundred grand a year that's gone. And the other person can end up in poverty if you don't plan right. So you have to have a plan for that. Self-insure, reverse mortgage, you're going to plan to sell. You buy regular long-term care insurance. You buy one of the hybrid life insurance policies that you can use the death benefit while you're alive if you need long-term care and the rest goes to your spouse or kids later on. And then you need to have the proper estate planning documents. You need wills. If you're in California or Oregon, Washington trusts aren't as a, as a big of a deal, but California, Oregon, our clients there, they, they need trusts. And then you need advanced directives. You need your power of attorney and your healthcare directives. All part of your estate plan to make sure that if something happens to one of you, you can still continue to manage affairs and not just deal with all the stretch of financial issues at the same time when a loved one needs care. That's, that's awful. And part of a good estate plan too is... I tell you what, if you're a person listening to the show right now and you have a bunch of directly held stock at CompuShare or Bank of Mellon, where you actually have stock certificates, for the love of God, please, please get those into a brokerage account because you're leaving your heirs a disaster. That's the worst thing that I can think of dealing with is directly held shares or stock certificates when somebody passes away. What you should be doing is creating a living trust And then you create a trust account at something like Schwab or Fidelity. And you can transfer those shares in kind into that brokerage account so that people can actually manage them for you when you pass away. So if you have... The other thing too is that if you have any kind of savings bonds, 
I bonds, double E's, things like that. You bought a long time ago. And since then you've created a living trust. You can get those into a, an electronic treasury direct.gov account under the name of your trust. And that will also make it a lot easier for your heirs to deal with. That's what financial planning is all about. Having a plan in each one of those different areas. You know what? I think of wealth accumulation is, is pretty easy. You just invest in stocks and index funds over time and the market will take care of you. But once you retire and you have a certain amount of limited asset to live off of for 35 to 45 years, you need to have a really good plan in place for rebalancing what you're investing in, your tax planning, which is which accounts do I draw from first, and then your overall estate planning, which also determines what your kids get and having some control after you pass away so that kids aren't ruined by inheriting too much money too early in life. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com, links to the podcasts, all sorts of items. Shoot me an email if you want this retirement planning guide, chad at chadburton.com. Have a great day. 